0: Welcome back to the It is Mark Minney. excellent guest. He's been on before. His books are one of my top fives. I because I'm not going to tell you which are my top five authors because I've had so many on the show, but Mark is definitely up there. I love the character Court Gentry. And I've been following the Gray Man series since the inception, and Mark's really got me hooked on this, like the, the the thriller with the sole protagonist, and well, I got that from Jack Carr, the protagonist, but hey, with the sole man out there in the wind, kind of doing his thing, and kind of always has like an awesome team that's in the background, whether or not he developed them or whether or not they're new. So Mark, I appreciate you coming on the show today. How you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Jason. Good to be back.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you. And the thing is, we were just talking before the pre-show about it's a different world this year. A different world with this pub day is because we're doing it mostly virtual. There's no travel. You and I just kind of just walked over and jumped on a camera and here we are.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Normally I would be traveling. Um, I live in Memphis, Tennessee, which is deep South and does not get much snow. But yesterday we got about six inches and a ton of sleet. So had I been going on a conventional tour, I would have been getting on a plane and probably going nowhere yesterday. So, uh, you know, obviously with COVID, it's unfortunate that we can't travel, but um, this is, this is the next best thing, I guess.
0: Now I am going to knock on wood right now. Because since COVID and since the beginning, um, technology has gotten a lot better when it comes to doing these streams and doing these inter- interviews for virtual. So you're kind of becoming an old hat at that. Is there any lessons you've learned over the past year about doing these virtual interviews?
1: Oh, you know, it, I, I had only done a couple before that, I, maybe 10, but I wasn't, you know, there's a lot of companies that they Zoom every day and have been doing that for years. So I was definitely not that guy. Um, so I, I won't say I've built a studio, but this is my desk here in my office, and uh, it I had to pull it out a little bit and stick a, a light in there, and uh, a couple of things I've positioned that if I move my foot the wrong way, this whole thing's going to come crashing down. So I, I probably still have a lot to learn as far as doing this sort of thing, but uh, it's 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 starting to become old hat old hat now.
0: I'm sure, and audio is so much better with guests now. I really appreciate that. That's the only thing that's goods come out of uh, COVID for me. It was like, <laughs> the audio from the guest is great. <laughs> okay. Now, your last book, One Minute Out, um, touched on human trafficking, like, throughout the whole book, and before, when I interviewed you about that book last time, I didn't read it yet. I didn't listen to it. I'm actually a big fan of Audible, and, you know, I've delved into the world of trafficking on the real world side, mm-hmm. and reading through that book you've got you there's so much that's an it's true to life i mean obviously we're not going to go and do direct action and kill the bad guys but there is so much going on within that life of women being used and abused and yeah after that book came out and and pre-publication what was your experience with the human trafficking world
1: well it was it was all research for the book and this happened before I did a I think my third book uh, gray man story was called ballistic and it was about uh, the Mexican cartels and I thought I knew a lot about the Mexican cartels and I went down to Mexico and did a ton of research and then I just became really passionate about telling people you know the the depths of the depravity and it's like I had no idea and that happened again researching this book i I had this plot and you know I knew human trafficking is a horrible thing and a pervasive and whatnot, but I I didn't know anything about it really directly. And as I got into the story, I remember telling my editor, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to handle this correctly and not be salacious and um, not make this some story about a male hero that goes and rescues a bunch of damsels in distresses. And that's not what the book is at all. There's there's very strong female characters, two sisters who uh, who end up, you know, having more of an outcome on what happens or as much of an outcome as as the hero. But I did all the research and the Jeffrey Epstein stuff was was not as much was known about it then, but there were things that were known about it. And uh, doing research about how the United States is, there's so much human trafficking here in the U.S. I, I realized this was not a story about uh, vanquishing foes in some far off land that are doing something terrible. I mean, I'm, this all comes right back to the U.S., which in the book, it all comes back to, uh, to Los Angeles. So I learned a ton and, you know, I took it very seriously once I once I stumbled into that world and said, oh, my gosh, I really need to talk about this in a, in a way that is is honest
0: well, the one aspect about reading fiction is sometimes it piques everybody's interest to look into the real world, the real aspects of it. Me, I'm personally vested in it. But you can imagine a lot of your readers out there and a lot of your, you know, fans would actually go and take that next step and look and say, Hey, you know what? This isn't just, you know, the snatch and grab off the streets and, you know, in some yeah. European country. It is actually yeah. happening domestically. And yeah. I'm glad you write about it in depth.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, I I've, I feel the same way. I, I, fiction, uh, I remember when I discovered Tom Clancy when I was in my late teens, and I was like, wow, you can actually learn stuff <laughs> about, <laughs> about the world while you're enjoying yourself uh, reading fiction. And before that, I was more of a nonfiction guy. I kind of turned my nose up at fiction. Um, and then I got into to this type of fiction that was very rooted in what was really going on in the world. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm studying the Irish Republican army or, or whoever uh, Clancy was writing about. So it's, it it's the type of book I like to read and the type of book I like to write.
0: Well, that's the thing about the Clancy is it does, it it, it peaks your interest in what's going on out there at the time, you know, like you said, with the IRA and Columbia, yeah. South America and everything, but it's so realistic. Yeah. That must've been kind of cool being like a young, young man that all of a sudden, bam, you're into the Clancy world yourself as a writer.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, it was 20-something years after I first picked up Clancy that I was writing books with Tom Clancy. It was my third, excuse me, my third Gray Man book had just been finished, and they reached out to me and said, um, "Tom Clancy's looking for a co-author. Would you be interested?" And it, I won't say it fell into my lap. Like I, at that point, I still had to prove myself. I, I really tried out for the gig and and wrote something. Just a show that's like, hey, nobody knows this world other than Tom Clancy, like like I do, and I'm the right guy for the job. But um, yeah, it, it 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 never stopped being surreal. I did seven Clancy books, three with him before he passed away, and then four more after he died. Jack Ryan novels, and it never stopped being uh, surreal to me that that I was writing with these characters.
0: You know, one thing about you and you know, mirror imaging the writing world is. You know, jumping into the court gentry, court gentry doesn't have the stereotypical special forces background. He's kind of, you know, the way he grew up was, you know, kind of self-taught with his father and everything. What part of you wants to be, you know, is is mirrored after after kind of like, you know, your dream protagonist, your dream, you know, hero, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the, the way that he and I are similar or we're both like smart aleck. <laughs> um the sense of humor is is the same although his is uh his benefits from the fact that it takes me 6 months to write these books and so I have 6 months to decide if that that humorous line or what I think is a humorous line is really humorous or if it or if it went too far. I think the moral compass is it's different in some degrees. I mean, obviously, I'm not an assassin. Uh, hopefully, that's obvious. But I'm not an assassin. Um, but at the same time, there's there's a wish fulfillment in these these books. The last year's book about human trafficking. I mean, the the bad guy gets his comeuppance in a in a pretty horrific way, and that is how the world should be. And and that's a little bit of what you get do in fiction than in nonfiction unfortunately sometimes you don't get to do it so um, you know I don't have the, the physical prowess that he does uh, I'm, I'm a shooter I own a lot of the guns that my hero uses and I train I'm actually building a, a, a my own private gun, gun range and um, I, I do take that stuff seriously but I always say I, I just have to know it well enough to talk about it I don't have to know it well enough to defend my life or or any of any of the little traits that he has.
0: And you know, that's one thing I give huge props to your website. It's because you go on there and you actually document the weapons that Court's using and some of the other um, anti heroes and everything in the books. Yeah. And I like the fact that you're actually training with them. Now, yeah. I I'd suspect in like two books from now, I can come out there, we can shoot some guns and, and do these live interviews on your range. That'd be great. I love that. I'd love that. Cause you're probably the same way I, when I look at firearms, and that's one thing I do want to get into is the firearms aspect of it. I don't look at the, look at them as like, you know, just a weapon of death. It's almost like an art. And when you really yeah. learn about the, the, what makes up a firearm and mechanics, the shooting, the, everything about it, it, it's almost like an art form.
1: Yeah. And the more you learn about it, the more you realize you have more to learn about it. And, uh, and I've said from the beginning I go to these different firearm schools and I just connect with people via shooting. And these people help me in so many other ways. It's not just about learning muzzle velocities and things like that. I have I make friends in the, in the bunkhouses at these places and they end up uh, helping me with other books and um, I've shot with special forces guys and SWAT guys and all that. And it really helps my stories far beyond, uh, you know, learning about how to pull the trigger or how to make a thousand yard shot or something like that. So it's, it's definitely, a, it was, I was lucky that I was doing that early in the, in the gray man series. I knew I just had to get some hands-on experience and then I just fell in love with it. Uh, same thing happened with scuba diving. I wanted my hero to, to do some diving in one of the books. So I went and learned how to scuba dive and I, I love it more than he does. <laughs> I, I have to be careful not to use it too much in books.
0: Yeah. Um, the thing is with like the firearms, the scuba diving, the everything is, you really do need like an outside hobby, if you want to call it that. Uh, just because, you know, writing is con- your, it is your career. It's not kind of your career. It is your career. Yeah. And yeah. just to have that, you need something on the outside and, you know, shooting a gun is not bad people. It's, it's a great thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, a very solitary lifestyle as, as far as writing. I mean, obviously that my, I'm an agent and, and manager. I mean, an uh, editor and you know people in the publishing house that I work with. But mostly, it's ninety five percent of the time. It's just me sitting there with a laptop in my lap, and and writing. So it's it's any of these things that get me out and uh, have me engaged in the real world help helps the writing and probably helps me too mentally.
0: Well, that kind of gets into my next question about influences. Obviously, your influences growing up were the Clancy. Uh, were those types of things were the nonfiction's? but as your career has progressed you know you're gone uh you know decade plus now mm-hmm. of writing full-time and yeah being a professional best-selling author
1: how has your influences tra-
0: changed let's just say in the last five years
1: that's a good question I mean to be honest with you I've uh, I've met so many good writers and I, I read books for blurbs all the time that are books that I wouldn't necessarily pick up and and you know, I just there's a lot of really good younger writers, but I also like to go back to the classics or what I consider the classics that that made me into a writer in the first place. And there's always a fear of doing that. It's like, does this book hold up the way that I think that it did? Or, you know, like I I have this book in such reverence, reverence, um, The Charm School by Nelson DeMille. And then I went back and read it a, a couple of years ago and I was like, yeah, this this book completely holds up. It's as good today as, as it was ever. Um, I a lot of like Hare, a lot of Frederick Forsyth, obviously the Clancy. There's an author named Ralph Peters who I just revere, an author named Gerald Seymour who I just revere. So these these are the guys that I read when I was in my 20s and th- even teens and 20s and 30s before I was a published author, and um, I I still hold them in this in this high esteem. And the the authors now that I think are really good, Jason Matthews. Uh, is one who comes to mind. You know, I just think that they're fantastic. Kyle Mills is doing a great job with the Vince Flynn. There's, there, there's a bunch of authors, uh, Daniel Silva. I don't know how anybody could not just love Daniel Silva. Um, there's quite a few authors like that, that I just really hold in really high regard and, and hopefully reading them makes me a little bit better.
0: Yeah. I have, um, I always tell people I have like three things going on. I have an audible book, I have a nonfiction book, and then I have a, uh, a fiction book all because mm-hmm. I have to always be reading and yeah. I don't know if it has something to do with the protector show about uh, I just started interviewing authors and I really got into it but I'm going back to the, uh, Colonel David Hackworth with a yeah. face and hazardous duty yeah. and I'm just about to pick them up and go back because I I read them religiously before I went into service and during yeah. the service so yeah yeah my What's dad had
1: saying? those books uh, my dad was uh army infantry in World War II actually actually um, fought in Germany and then was over in the Philippines when the war ended. So he got the best of uh, the worst of both worlds, maybe you could say. Um, But yeah, he was a big David Hackworth fan. So my dad had both those books and I read them in the eighties, way back in the eighties. And
0: uh, you know, I remember in 1990s uh, after I got out of active duties and enlisted men, I was commissioning as an officer. And I remember emailing, this is like, you know, nineties email and I actually emailed Hackworth, and he emailed me back because I asked him like, wow. some advice he would have as an right. entry officer. And he actually, I wish I still had that email account because mm. I would love to have that email.
1: Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Now, the next book, Relentless, is – I can't even say it's the next book. It is out now. I actually yeah. ordered the Audible. Thank you to the publisher for sending me the, the hard copy, but I need the Audible. I love just turning it on. Relentless takes place in Venezuela in the beginning.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where does the book take us?
1: Uh, it's, it, it takes us to Germany. I, I wanted it to have a very Cold War feel there. I would say there's more espionage and intrigue in this than any of my other gray man novels. It has all the action that a gray man novel has, but this one is just full of double crosses and triple crosses. And and where better to, to place a story like that than Berlin um, just because of Berlin's history. So that's what I'd wanted to do from the outset. And I, I had that plan before COVID. And the plan was I was actually going to get an apartment in in Berlin and be there for six weeks or so while I was writing the book. Then COVID happened. And this is the only, uh, you know, it's my 10th Gray Man book, but this is my 20th book being published. And I think there's only two or three other times that I wasn't able to travel for, for the book. And so I wasn't able to travel for this Book. Fortunately for me, I've spent a ton of time in Germany and a good amount of time in Berlin. I used to live in Cologne for a very short time. And uh, I've been to Germany a dozen times in Cologne. I mean, in Berlin, probably nine or 10 times. Uh, I researched a Clancy book there. Uh, I did some research in Germany for Red Metal, which was a novel I wrote a couple of years ago. So I knew German, Germany pretty well, and was able to write the book still. But that's the main setting of the story. There's a little bit of the story that takes place in Dubai, and a little bit of the story, uh, as you said, that, that takes place in Venezuela. But uh, but Berlin is is your main location. Oh, I
0: cannot wait. Last year was my first time in Oktoberfest, and then we hiked all over the uh, <laughs> the country. Or actually, I shouldn't even say last year. It's a year before last year. Now there's 2021. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in love with Germany. I put in for a professor job out there and because of COVID, I think it kind of got nixed. So, mm. uh, yeah. man, I'm really looking forward to this, uh, <laughs> now that it's in Germany. Cause then I could just visual myself, visualize, you know, yeah. following court throughout Germany and doing all like the cool stuff. And I love it. Yeah.
1: Man. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I love, I'm absolutely in love with Germany. I used to speak German pretty well. It's really sloppy now, but, um, I, I went over there to learn German when I got out of college and, uh, I've been back so many times since in the 30 years since.
0: Oh my gosh. And my wife, she was an army interrogator. One of her languages was German because she was fluent in German. So we're Mm -hmm. like, let's go to Germany now. Yeah. Oh man. So the big, big news over the past year is Ryan Gosling jumping into the role of court Gentry, uh, Gentry. And then also you have Chris Evans jumping in as the, the main bad guy. Now you have Ryan Gosling is absolutely incredible actor. Drive is one of, uh, I mean, the guy is like really, I could visualize him as being Court Gentry. What is that like for you?
1: Uh, I can visualize him as well. I, I this is uh, this book was this is uh, the the Netflix film is being made off of my first book, The Gray Man, and I originally optioned that story in two thousand nine. And so there's been all these iterations, all these screenplays written, uh, multiple studios have had a crack at it and it never got made. But through that, there were always actors who were mentioned and mentioned and mentioned. So I guess it was about a year ago this time, I started hearing that Ryan Gosling was interested in it and um, the Russo brothers who had written the screenplay and were planning on directing were, um, were trying to get uh, Gosling on board. And I just kind of... Put it aside. I, I don't. I didn't get excited about it because I don't get excited about that stuff anymore. Because you've heard so much over the mm-hmm. years. So finally, in July, you know, the the news broke, and I had no uh, advanced knowledge other than people been hinting about it. But I've, I've been hearing that for 12 years at this point, so I, I wasn't even paying attention. So it, it's real exciting to me. I think he's a fantastic actor. I think he's he's versatile, and and I appreciate the the art of acting. I know he'll put his spin on it and it'll be great. Uh, He was so good in Blade Runner. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris Evans playing the character Lloyd um, is just makes me smile. I think that's, I think that's going to really, really be cool.
0: Yeah. I think it's going to be great to see Chris Evans play in a different type of role than, Hey, you know what? This is Captain America. This is, yeah, he has played bad guys before and he's had played, you know, people in the, the bad role. So it's going to be interesting. I'm really excited for it is, do you know when that's set to premiere?
1: No, I don't. They're actually supposed to start filming March 1st, so less than two weeks away. It's about two weeks away. Um, and I don't know when it's going to come out. I mean, I assume a year to a year and a half, something like that. So it'll be, it'll be a little while, but they're supposed to shoot into into May, I, as I understand.
0: If you could have any other of your books made into like a, a part of that series, would you or could you say?
1: <laughs> um you know, they want to make a franchise out of it. So they, they want to keep going after the first one. They're they're planning it as such. And I, I don't know the, the movie world well enough to know if, if one book is more suited towards uh, that audience than, than another. But um, I think my book Back Blast would be a really good one. I think my book Dead Eye would be a really good one. Um, Relentless, for sure, would, would be a great translated Uh, onto the screen, I think. Um, But I'm the guy that writes the books and my nose is down and writing next year's book right now. And I I don't really have any say over that, but I I do trust the Russo brothers implicitly. They've they've always shot straight with me. So uh, I hope they do get to do more books.
0: I'm excited, very excited. I'm excited to add Relentless to the shelf. I have my author shelf over here if anybody's in my studio. And then, but the last question is this. You are, you know what you know now and you are a twenty-some, twenty early twenties writer. What's your lessons learned that you would like to tell yourself?
1: Oh boy, there's a bunch. Um, the one thing that I wish that I had done that I think would have helped me develop as a writer um, so much more quickly would be to um, just get out. I, I hate to use the term networking, and it, it sounds sort of cliche, but There's all these writers conferences that where you can go to these sessions and learn about things. But then there's also very successful authors that come there and talk. And I was going to those things for several years, but I never talked to an author that had been published. Um, I stayed, (laughs) I steered clear of them. And now when I'm at these things, I'm hanging out with a bunch of authors who are pretty successful. And. Um, people will come up who haven't been published, who are trying to, you know, working on a book or whatever and start talking to us. And we all, you know, everybody gets along and everybody has a good time. Like nobody's different than anybody else. There's no hierarchy like I thought there was that, I, you know, so that might just be my own thing, but I didn't have the self-confidence to consider myself uh, a peer to anyone uh, that had had any success. And that really hurts you. I mean, you're, you know, if you're a writer it, I look at it like this. It's like I I wrote some things that never got published that I'm super proud of to this day, even though I've published 20 books, there's things that I've had that didn't get published. Um, And so when I meet somebody who hasn't been published before, I don't have any sort of like qualitative, like feeling towards their work. It's you know, I, they could be as good as me, better than me, you know, different than me, but, you know, they're going to write next year's Harry Potter and you just don't know. So I would say for, any author that is wanting to, you know, aspiring to this, you just keep your nose down and you, and you work and work and work. And then when you can, you get, you could be puts with people that, that do this sort of thing, because then you realize it's not this rarefied error. There's not this strata of people that are going to make it and the strata of people that are never going to make it. Uh, like I thought that it was.
0: Yeah, and I definitely, I appreciate you telling people to network and that yeah. goes for everybody in the protector community, whether you're an LEO emergency responder, veteran or military, network within and outside of your community and and just take down that comfort barrier and just say, go for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Mark, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And Relentless is out now everywhere books are sold. And especially if anybody out there buys the book, which you are, make sure you go to those small bookstores. That's my own personal advice out there. Just get to that small bookstore and, and keep them afloat.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Totally. Thanks for having me so much, Jason. Enjoyed it.